welcome once again. Thanks for joining us for another week. Peachtree Post. Once again, I'm your host, Jarrett Smith. Alongside with me is Jason Longshore. This week, we'll be diving into the Java Watch. Still going on. We're not sure it's ever going to end, actually. Um, but will it? We'll go over the Christ deal in Orlando, uh, take a look at the transfer window and what it holds for Atlanta, as well as preview the Atlanta Soccer Con going on this week in Atlanta. First off, Jason, uh, you there? I am here. Hey, there he is. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing good. What about you? Uh, pretty good. Um, whirlwind week. Let's just, let's just call it that. Whirlwind week for Atlanta. Yeah, it's been a uh, it's been pretty hectic, um, especially in the last day. You know, when I guess you know we've talked about the Woj bomb when we talk about Atlanta sports and word not leaking out. I guess uh, Taylor Twelman is at that level now, huh? I'm okay with that. Um, we need somebody else to be that guy. Um, if that's what it takes, if Twelman's what it takes, cool. Because as you um, as you have alluded to. Twelman dropped a bomb, and he dropped a bomb that a lot of people in Atlanta have been waiting for for a while. Yeah, I think the the bomb part of it uh, that Taylor dropped was that it was about to happen. Um, you know, we've been – it astounded me today when I was actually totaling up how long uh, Vishalba Watch has been going on, and we were into day 37 since uh, his agent first dropped Atlanta FC's name or Atlanta United FC's name on a uh, radio show in Buenos Aires. And now it looks like uh, we're, we're there. It looks like uh, it's about to be announced. Everything's about to happen. And it's pretty exciting. I guess my first question is what do we do now? <laughs> um, I can, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot about San Lorenzo, which is cool. Um, great club, great history. Uh, I can probably stop listening to their talk shows. Uh, you know, I, I, it is a great club, but I don't need to know every single thing that's happening with San Lorenzo moving forward. I mean, until they, until they develop another big star that comes to Atlanta, I, I think you'll be hey, safe look in that at regard. It. Look at some hey, of the players that have come out of San Lorenzo recently. I mean, one of my favorites in MLS this season, Nacho Piatti, is is a San Lorenzo guy and played with Vichelba. Um, A lot of talent coming out of that club. Uh, I think there will be more players to keep an eye on from San Lorenzo in the future. I'm I'm okay with that. If we form kind of a little partnership with that, that's totally okay with me. Um, I'll take it. I, yeah, if if it's going to bring us – what we hope, I mean, the, the hype on the Java watch has been as much fun as anything to me because we haven't actually seen him on the field with Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> we haven't seen him in person. We've seen the clips. You've seen the clips of a kid who has a really nice first touch and who can run faster with a ball at his feet than a lot of people can without the ball at their feet. So the, the hype is definitely going to be there. Um, Jason, it, for me, it's, it's kind of like I don't know what to do with my hands right now because I, I don't really know what to do with myself now that I'm not on the job watch. Well, let me let me give you a couple things to get ready for. Uh, word just came out um, tonight. Uh, I mean, you'll be listening to this on Friday morning that we're recording this Thursday night. Uh, Vishalba spoke to one of the San Lorenzo radio shows and did confirm uh, the Tijuana transfer or Tijuana loan. I'm sorry, uh, for the next six months. 
So get ready to watch Cholos and watch some Liga MX because hopefully Vizalba will be featuring there. Um, I think that's important for him at this point because he did not play a lot in the first six months of 2016. Had a sounded like a bit of a falling out with the manager who had uh, left San Lorenzo. Um, he, the team struggled a little bit since their Copa Libertadores win in 2014. Um, Michel has been on the bench mostly. Uh, he needs to play. He needs to get into a rhythm. So the time with Tijuana will be very valuable and will get him ready for preseason with Atlanta United in January. Do you think, um, and I'm just asking you now, uh, do you think it's going to take a little bit of time for him really to get into a rhythm down there uh, to get playing consistently? Like you said, he's been, hasn't been playing that much. Uh, how long do you think it could be before he kind of gets into a rhythm where we start seeing him play consistently and really get an idea of what he can bring? Because if he's only going to, if he's kind of working his way back in, I wouldn't, it, I wouldn't think it'd be fair to jump in, watch him, and think, oh well a certain number of minutes he's trying to get into a rhythm and get back his playing style, we shouldn't judge him just off that. How long do you think it should be before we start looking at him for expectation's sake? I think probably in a couple months, to be honest. Uh, it's tricky on two fronts. I mean, he, he hasn't played a lot, so he's coming in, you know, out of soccer shape. Uh, he could be in great physical shape, but out of just playing rhythm. So that's going to take some time to get to. He's joining a new team. Uh don't think there's anybody there that he's played with before. So he's going to have to build some chemistry. And the other side on Tijuana's part of it is, you know, they've played one game in Liga MX so far this season. Uh, they have a, a team. They, you know, probably have already figured some things out. So he's going to have to earn time and, and maybe wait a little bit for an opportunity to open up either up top or on the right wing. Uh, the one thing that does help him there is Liga MX does the Apertura Clausura setup. So the the six months that he'll be there is a self-contained season. So it's it's not like the Chris McCann situation. He's he's going to Coventry, and he'll only be there for the first six months of Coventry Coventry season. So you know Coventry will be thinking about well, how much do we want to invest in a guy who's only going to be here for half of our season at Liga MX and at Tijuana, Vishalba will be there for this whole self-contained season. So that will, that will help him get a little more time, but you know, this team's already went through preseason. They've already played a game. Uh, it's going to be, how long will it take uh, Tito to get up to playing speed and to blend in with a team that's already established. Uh, and you mentioned it being, what did you say? 37 days we've been on watch. Yes. <clears throat> um, do you think the, the, and, this is, I know this is a thing because the MLS has such a unique schedule compared to the rest of the world, uh, Liga MX as well. Um, little, very unique, as you said, with the, uh, with the way it's split. Do you, think, uh, do you think kind of the acrobatics of getting the transfer set up prolonged this and kept it from being a, you know, a two-week thing and instead stretched out to a, three, to a four- or five-week thing? It could have. Um... There were a couple things at play uh, at the beginning of the summer, even before Atlanta came into the mix, there were some pretty heavy rumors that Vishalba would be headed to Boca juniors. And it was part of a deal involving another player and the player who uh, Blondie, who is with San Lorenzo now 
half of his rights are owned by San Lorenzo and half of his rights are owned by Boca. And they were going to make a trade of Vijalba to Boca to get the other half of Blondie's rights. Argentinian transfers are very complicated, as I've learned in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Uh, You're going to be our coach case, for South American transfers in general. Yes, and now I guess I am, uh, along with, with Eric Quintana at Dirty South, I think we're the South American transfer experts in Atlanta now. It's it's tricky, and what where it came to with with Vichalba was uh, he there are two things he did not want to go to Boca, who is a rival of San Lorenzo. They're both in Buenos Aires, and two he really wanted San Lorenzo to make money on the deal. Um, he didn't want to go just for half of players' rights, or he didn't want to go at the end of his contract, which ends uh, December thirty first. He wanted San Lorenzo to earn a transfer fee for him. And the reason for that, and it's not exactly common um, these days, uh, he might have had more of a, his choice of where he wanted to go if he had waited and he could have just signed wherever. That actually came up for him in 2014 as well, just after he broke through and he signed a contract through the end of this year at that point. And one of the reasons was he – you know, he grew up at San Lorenzo. He almost literally grew up across the street from the stadium um, in the, the via of, across the street. And he is San Lorenzo through and through. And he wanted that club to benefit from, you know, his development and his success rather than just, you know, finish his contract out and leave. And that, I think, says a lot about the, the character of the player that is, you know, headed to Atlanta. I think that's a, a huge, huge benefit for what Atlanta is going to be getting is, you know, a guy who uh, plays and conducts himself with this passion for the club. And it really fits with the things that, you know, from the top with Arthur Blank on down have said about how they want players who are going to represent the club well and be ambassadors for the club. And, you know, for the rest of his life, he's always going to be an ambassador for San Lorenzo and we hope that he will be an ambassador for Atlanta United uh, through you know his time here. And something you mentioned that I think is really kind of overlooked in this is the way he went about it for San Lorenzo's sake. And we you know we hear all the time in sports the idea of a player being loyal to the club or you know club loyalty to a player, vice versa. However you want to go, and not just in soccer, but in in all major sports. You know we we hear about loyalty, but it's it's kind of a word that gets thrown around. And when you're dealing with uh, the cynical view is millionaires playing for billionaires. So the millionaires should get theirs, uh, you know, let the billionaire get theirs. However, they see, they deem fit. It is a really interesting gesture that he made the, the whole idea of making sure that San Lorenzo got theirs. And yeah, I, I hope, like you said, I hope it reflects as well in Atlanta. And I hope it's something that we can look forward to in Atlanta with a lot of the homegrown players. You know, we've talked about, how Atlanta is developing the academy, how much how much talent there is in this city uh, that is already signing with Atlanta or that might in the future sign with Atlanta. We don't know what you know, eight years down the line is going to look like. And I think it'd be fantastic if we have that. But at the same time, as nice as it is, I will never hold it against a player if they don't, if they're you know out trying to uh, make sure they go somewhere where they think they can succeed. It's, it's one of those things where... I'm flattered, and I think I'm really impressed by the way he went about it. Had he not gone about it, 
I don't think I would have held it against him. The bottom line for me is it's working out for Atlanta. It's finally happening. And uh, really, I mean, I know we've had signings, but this is the first kind of electric signing for Atlanta United. I think as much as people liked uh, the Jones signing, you know, the ludicrous interaction was great. Uh, McCann's really solid signing. This one feels electric, not to, not to do a disservice to the other ones. It's a big deal. Um, I mean, as Twelman alluded to in his tweet, uh, Vijalbo will be a young designated player. Uh, that's a fairly new rule in MLS where the league is really incentivizing teams to sign young designated players rather than the older ones. Uh, they get a smaller salary cap hit. Uh, unless things have changed that we don't know about, Vishalva's salary cap hit is going to be $200,000 as opposed to a regular designated player at around $450,000. So that essentially gives you room to sign another starter. That's a big deal. Um, I think the other thing about this is, you know, you look at how teams have built in the past and, you know, you look at the last two expansion teams with New York City uh, signing David Villa as their first major signing and Orlando signing Kaká as their first major signing. You know, like you said, McCann and Jones are both very solid signings, um, but Vishalva is something different. He's a young player who could be here for a while, um, could potentially be sold to Europe down the line, but he is really the first major statement that Atlanta United is making, and it's different than any other MLS expansion team has made. Uh, that, that says a lot, and it'll be curious to see you know, where things kind of jump off from here in terms of other players who are signed and, and what this really says about what Atlanta United will be. And it should be noted that um, if you need a primer on the MLS and how the DP system works, how the salary cap system works, how the allocated money system works, I can't help you. Um, Jason <laughs> can probably help you. I know our friends over at uh, Mouth of the South, uh, they can kind of get into the little bit of witchcraft that goes on with all that. It's, it's kind of a living organism. But the bottom line is, as you alluded to, Jason, or as you just pointed out pretty much, it's a good deal, and Atlanta is taking advantage of a system that is basically rewarding them for signing a young designated player in continuing this kind of trend that Atlanta has of being an expansion team that's trying to become the first at a lot of things. That's a good point. That's a really good point, and that's what I think is part of Darren and Carlos's mandates in the front office is to, you know, Arthur, Arthur Blanks always said, you know, being the best is important and they're really breaking new ground. I mean, from the stadium to the training facility, to the types of signings, to the Academy, lots of, lots of things are happening here. And I mean, you saw Twelman's reaction uh, about how you know big of a deal this is, you know, not just for Atlanta, but for the league. And what I hope is that this you know, does show a new way forward and shows that you can build a team and have a fan base that is excited and energized, and you don't have to do it on the backs of you know, 35, 36, 37-year-old players who have done things in the past but 
maybe can't do those things as well anymore. I think these young, exciting players and playing a, an exciting attacking style, like has been talked about here, it's it's important. And I hope it, it shows, you know, the whole league, the the way moving forward. I hope so as well. And um, we uh, will get into, you know, things maybe not going right in some people's minds for Atlanta in just a bit with the uh, the Orlando situation. But, you know, when I look at the teams that are coming into the league, um, you know, Minnesota already kind of established has the NASL roster they can kind of throw into it. Um, from what I understand, Cincinnati would really like to push within the next probably, if I'm not mistaken, it's the next two or three expansion cycles. And yeah, I think they're probably in the them. next one. They are absolutely lighting it up with attendance, with performance up there. It's actually really impressive. Um, once again, Mouth of the South did a nice discussion this week uh, in their Charleston check-in, uh, check-down show or the, uh, the Chucktown check-in about Cincinnati. But for a team that isn't taking from an NASL base or USL base like Atlanta and just basically taking the raw earth and making this, I don't think it can be overstated how impressive it has been from day one about the way they have built it up from really not having much of a base to begin with. They built their own base and they've gone from there. Yeah. What's cool now is you're starting to see links happen. You know, you have Kenwin Jones uh, who was announced, you know, last Friday, right after we recorded. And now you have Jones and Vishalba who could pair up as two forwards in a four, four, two, or Jones could be a target with Vijalba coming off of the right side. You're starting to see how, okay, what does that look like? How can that look? You know, you have McCann holding down the middle of the field. Um, I would, you know, be surprised if we didn't see, you know, another central midfielder get signed here soon. Um, I think there's going to be more moves in this transfer window. Not really sure where they're going to be or where they're going to come from yet. There haven't, hasn't really been any other players connected to Atlanta in any strong way. I think there could be some potential for moves within the league. Uh, Some players who are either not seeing playing time or just on the outs with the, their clubs and trades could happen. Uh, Not sure, you know, what's really on the horizon there, but we've seen in the last couple of days action really pick up in the transfer window within MLS. DC United made two trades, uh, Yesterday, there's there are things happening. So I'm sure that Paul McDonough and Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Eels are all, you know, with their working their contacts and seeing what's out there to to fit around these three established professionals. And and that's the other thing about Vishalba that you know I want to make sure that people know is, you know, yes, we've looked at McCann, he's 28 with loads of experience in England. We're looking at Jones with loads of experience, you know, both with his national team and, and in England. Vishalba is 21, but he has over 100 games with San Lorenzo, and he has over 20 games in Copa Libertadores and, and Copa Sudamericana action, which if, if you've never watched Copa Libertadores, that is some cutthroat, serious, intense soccer. And to survive that and win a title and lift that trophy for your you know hometown boyhood club, that's a trial by fire that, you know, a lot of young players with Vishalba's age don't have. So he's young and he's got, you know, a ton of time to develop, but 
he's already got a lot of games in him and he that's going to only help you know it's not a not a rookie coming in here so you've got three experienced players at different points in their career to build around and that says a ton uh this has you know been pretty well thought out and we'll see what's coming next uh last thing before we move on and not necessarily to put you on the spot, but because you're so good at this so far, especially if we take into account the way you guess games. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, but if if I had to put you on the spot, and if you had to just make a wild guess, what would you expect next to be that signing? Uh, you know, I mean, a, a keeper, uh, a playmaking mid, defensive mid, center back. If you just had to make a wild guess. If, if I was going to the betting window to to make that guess and I had five bucks to put down on something, I I think it would be Zach McMath. And I'll tell you why. Same camp. Yeah, I'll tell you why I think it's it's probable that he would be next is I think there's going to be competition for him. Um, and I think he's probably got his highest value to Colorado to make a move on him in this window. Uh Atlanta would be smart to explore it. Um, they'd have to make a decision on if they see McMath as their guy for a while because, you know, poor guy. He is he's bounced around and had some really bad luck with getting playing time. And this season especially, he's been very, very good for Colorado and led them to be one of the best teams in the league. But Colorado signed Tim Howard. And I get it. I – don't know if that would have been a good signing in some other locations. I think it is a good signing for Colorado. It makes them relevant in the market. It makes them important in Denver, which you know has been a struggle for the Rapids for a long time. Uh, unfortunately for Zach McMath, it puts him on the bench, and I don't think he's going to be content to sit there. So I would try to get in before anybody else did. I think you know, you've got a lot of tools to play with to do that now between – draft picks and international slots and general allocation money and targeted allocation money. There's, there's lots of tools that Atlanta United has to work with. So I would like to see them explore that. Um, and maybe they are, we don't know. I, I, to me, that would be the one that I think is the most likely to happen next. Uh, just because I think it's, I think there's going to be a lot of competition. I think they're going to have to beat somebody out to get him. I agree. That's where I would like to see them go if McMath is available for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, I still don't know necessarily why they're, you know, why they felt the need for Howard, but I, I see why they did it. I totally understand. Marketing. Marketing. I know, but he's, oh man, that's, <clears throat> that's, it's a, that's a tough call to make. Um, as we, okay. As we move from that to other things and Hey, Orlando got a new coach and yes, they did. people ain't, people ain't happy. We talked about it on Sunday. People are not going to be happy. People in Atlanta and Seattle are not going to be happy. I was I was kind of surprised at the reaction in all three cities, actually. Um, when word broke about Christ being in advanced talks with Orlando, uh, Paul Tenorio, 442 USA, dropped that bomb on everybody. And the Orlando fans initially were not – you know, super excited about it. Um, it Atlanta fans. Say that again. Is it because he's not Brazilian? Uh, it could be. 
Could be. I mean, they, they, um, they seem to have their heart set on that. Yeah, I think they kind of had their heart set on a, on a big name. Maybe not even a Brazilian big name, but just a big name, and they didn't see Christ as that. Whereas I think Atlanta fans saw Christ as the best, you know, MLS coach with experience out there and expected him. I think a lot of people, not just Atlanta fans, I think a lot of experts too, expected, you know, a year ago that, or when Christ was let go, that he would be the manager in Atlanta. Um, Seattle fans were starting to get excited about the idea, at least the ones who were on the, uh, it's time to move on from Siggy side of things. So this is a big move for Orlando. And I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think one of the things that derailed Christ in New York city was that he didn't have a lot of influence in player acquisition. And I wonder if he'll have that here in Orlando. The one thing he has going for him is, you know, with all the turmoil that Orlando city's had, they don't have a general manager at the moment. So Christ will kind of by default be that guy along with ownership and ownership has made it very clear. And Christ has said as well publicly that uh, they have demonstrated they're going to give him all the support he needs. And you know, he said, it's going to take a minute to get everything the way he wants. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Orlando had to do something quick because if they're going to have a chance at the playoffs, they couldn't let this drag on. So they had to probably make a very big offer and make it worth Christ's while to go there. And he took it. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, you talk about Tenorio dropping the bomb. He actually posted something uh, tonight slash Thursday slash the day, the day yesterday, Friday, since you are listening through this through a time space continuum. <clears throat> he actually posted something about the four questions Christ is going to have to answer in Orlando that's definitely worth a read. Jump over onto 442 and check it out. Um, it really digs into what he's known for, that, that diamond form, that 442 diamond, and how it fits the personnel they have there. We talked about Vizalba being a guy that eventually you might sell to Europe down the line. They're already talking about uh, Kyle Laren being that guy that they're already looking to sell down the line to Europe for you know a, a handsy a handsome fee coming back who fits who they can sell if he how he can mold this into uh into a team that fits what he wants to do or if he's going to change his system uh for atlanta like you said without a gm and right there on the cusp there's a lot of moving pieces in play now that could make this could look really good or really eh. i don't i don't think really the tires are going to fall off and the car is going to catch on fire at this point but i mean it, it's another chance for Christ, and I think if he takes this and if everything works out, um, vindic- vindicated, I guess, is a good word to use after everything that went down in New York City. Definitely. Um, I, I think Jason Christ is a, an excellent coach in MLS. I agree. And I was surprised at the way he was handled in New York City uh, so quickly wanting to make a change. I think he truly believed when he went there that he would be there for the long haul and build that franchise and, you know, really mold what it would be. And I think last summer, uh, the Pirlo signing was probably the the biggest sign that that just wasn't going to happen, that, that City Football Group was going to do what they wanted to do. So 
he left. He took his time. Um, he knew that one, you had at a minimum, you had an expansion team coming in. So they would be an obvious choice. And he knew that changes would be made. I don't think anybody could have predicted at the end of last season that Orlando would have been one of those teams looking for a coach. Um, it worked out for him though, because what's the ultimate way to stick it to New York city is to go to Orlando, their fellow expansion team from 2015 and have great success. Yeah. With a, with, with, you know, a, it's a pretty impressive field already in Orlando. I, he's got a playmaker. Um, he's got other weapons who can be playmakers. Uh, he's got a, a goal scoring forward. He has a defense that is, Okay, it's okay. He has a defense. Let's let's leave it there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's questionable. He has a defense in name, um, but I I would love to see it work for him. Except when he plays Atlanta next year, I'd like to see that go south. Nothing personal, but <laughs> uh, for Atlanta's sake, um, where do you look now, or uh, where do you think they start looking? I mean, assuming they don't already have names lined up in the queue. I don't know. This has been the the never-ending debate uh, amongst Atlanta United fans and uh, pundits. It's been, you know, do they have somebody in mind? I think a lot of people thought that was Christ, so that's blown out of the water. You know, do they have, is it somebody who's maybe an assistant within the league, somebody who's under contract? Do they have somebody who's been advising them on these on the transfers that have happened so far with your McCanns and Jones and, and Vishalba's? Um I don't think that's necessarily the case. I would not be surprised if, well, I, you know, there's a short list. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Oh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a whiteboard on the wall in the office with names on it and pros and cons. We, we know that's there, but I would not be surprised at all. If uh, the management decided, let's see what we get in this window. Let's see what we can do in acquiring players. And then let's see, what manager would fit what we have. Um, that's not a crazy setup. And it's not a crazy setup in MLS, to be honest. You know, a lot of people have thought you had to have the manager to choose the players. And not many managers in MLS have, you know, real influence on, on player acquisition. Some have a voice in, the, in that process, but not many have true influence. So, and I mean, it happens worldwide too. It's, it's not an uncommon setup. So, you know, you have you know, some big Rolodexes, some big experience in putting together an expansion team with Paul McDonough. You have Carlos Bocanegra, knows the American game, you know, has connections all around the world. Darren Eels, same way, has tons of connections in England and tons of connections around the world. Those guys are going to be able to get you players. Um, they don't need a manager to tell them who to get. So they could they could have made the decision that, look, Let's put the manager off until after the window, and then let's see what options we have. I'm sure they kick the tires on Christ. I'm sure they're thinking about Adrian Heath, who is out there right now from Orlando. Again, I don't think anybody thought at the end of last season that Adrian Heath would be available and Orlando would have you know, been looking for a manager. I'm not saying he's the best fit here. I don't know. Um, I don't know if, if, if he's what they're looking for, but – I would think that he's being considered just because of the relationship with Paul McDonough and building Orlando in the first place. 
I agree completely. I was hoping you would go there if you didn't. I was going to, but the relationship there at least has him looked at. Um, I have to think uh, again that yeah, Christ was considered, and if 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 it was such a big deal to get Christ in Atlanta, they would have made the move. You know, they would have they would have they would have made a move or made a very strong effort. They may have to keep him yeah, from going have. to Orlando. Um, but he may have just the Orlando situation is so unique as you as you touched on, without a general manager right now, Christ is going to have the ability. He's he's being given you know he's being given a spinning table full of clay. He can kind of get creative with it here and see what he can do with it. So we'll see what he can do with it. But he's he, he probably wasn't going to have that opportunity in Atlanta, like you said. You have so many guys who have connections all over the world who are confident in what they're doing in terms of building this team. And I think a lot of this comes from a lot of the discussions we have, especially Wednesday night uh, soccer chats on Twitter, which you should jump into absolutely 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, hashtag ATL soccer. Come discuss, come make jokes, come make fun of Man United. It's fun, I promise. Um, hey. Hey, whatever. You're the one spending money, not me. <laughs> I'd take Pogba sure. a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> but everyone's antsy about a manager. And whether, you know, it's justified or not to be that antsy about the manager, everyone kind of feels that way. And I think people will calm down when the manager's announced, even if the manager is trivial in the sense of the grand scheme of things when it comes to signing players or it comes to scouting players. Sure, they have probably are going to have input because they're going to they're going to have a system that you're going to want to consult for this. But it's not the be all end all. No, they're going to have a input and they're going to have ideas once a core is established. You know, that's where I think the manager's input is most important. And, okay, we have these, you know, 14, 15 players here. What do you need to finish this off? What do you – do you need another defensive midfielder? Do you need, you know, another outside back who can play on either side? What do you need to finish this roster off? who fits what you want to do, who have you worked with, that type of stuff. That's where I think a manager's input will be really valuable. It's not in the signings that are being made right now. I mean, you didn't need a manager's input to say, Chris McCann on a free transfer, not a designated player, do it. You know, Kenwin Jones, experienced, free transfer, do it. Not a DP. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Which, those, these these moves are kind of no-brainers. So Guardado, let's let's throw that in. You know, if a team has a chance to sign Andres Guardado, they're going to sign him. You don't need the manager to say, well, yeah, he's a good signing. We already know that. And I was one of those people who was getting antsy, especially about the idea of we are we going to get a manager? Uh, what are we going to look for? Uh, are we going to get Christ? Are we going to have to set up for a diamond? I mean, how are we going to do this? Like, um, I just – you know, watch the team this week play a three-five-two, and I don't know what's real anymore. Um, oh, I like the three-five-two. It actually looked really good, by the way. <laughs> um, See, there you go. <laughs> uh, but I, I was one of those people who was really antsy about a manager, and the further we've gotten to this, the more I've seen the moves made, and the more everything kind of falls into place. I've kind of shifted into that camp of when it happens, it happens. The the not the the common sense moves will happen. The big moves will happen. One of the big keys we've talked about with these moves is the flexibility. Everybody they're bringing in um, has flexibility. Kenwin Jones, more of like a target striker. I mean, but, you know, that's fine. 
that having a target striker is that that's nice. I'm great with that. Vijalba's flexible. McCann is flexible. A lot of the kids you have on the in the uh, in the USL right now playing for Charleston in the academy are flexible in what they can become going forward. So yeah, the no, the no nonsense, common sense moves, fine. When the manager comes, fine. At this point, I'm kind of just getting in the mode of I want to see the name keep Atlanta United keep popping up in the news for positive reasons. Yeah, I I, I think we're really looking at a manager hire after the transfer window, you know, more and more, I think it just makes more sense. Um, you know, I would be surprised if they left it all the way until after the MLS season. I think you're, you're cutting it closer there. Um, so I'm not hundred percent sure if the, the thought process about, you know, well, some, it, they might've, they might want somebody who's already under contract. Don't know if you'd want to wait that long. Um, you never know. I, I don't know. I, at this point, I'm really more focused on what other players and what other options are going to come out of this transfer window as opposed to the manager. I think that will sort itself out in the fall. And that's a damn good segue into the fact that the transfer window is going on and it is completely lit around the league right now. Um, lots of things happening, lots of things possibly happening, lots of things not happening. Um, transfer windows are fun especially when you have a mostly blank slate to look at and you're kind of shopping around. You're not going to, not necessarily going to buy everything, but it's kind of fun to look around and see that guy's not really, he'd be good, but he's not really playing much. Let's go grab him. Like you said, Zach McMath, like we talked about earlier, a guy who um, you'll have to compete for probably, but who, man, that would be nice. Um, Other guys may be playing out of position or not getting time. Um, what do you expect from this transfer window dom- domestically within the league, Atlanta making trades, Atlanta making moves? I think what's been interesting to see so far has been the moves that have been made and kind of what going rates and, and what things are going for. You know, we don't know exactly how much allocation money is given sometimes in these deals, but to see a guy like Patrick Mullins from New York City FC who was kind of an odd man out there. And I had him on, on the big board that we did at, at Dirty South. He was traded to DC United for quote, significant allocation money and an international slot. Okay. Um, I wonder if that's, you know, a price that Atlanta United would have wanted to pay. You know, Fabian Espindola was just traded away from DC United for allocation money. Uh, he went to Vancouver. Lloyd Sam was traded to DC United uh, from the Red Bulls for general allocation money with the express purpose of other moves. Um, You're seeing more of these types of deals. Uh, Toronto and Montreal made a deal for an international slot and a draft pick. So you're starting to see things happen in the league. I think you're going to see more action over the next couple weeks. The team that probably a lot of eyes are on right now is Seattle. Uh, Seattle's been really heavily uh, chasing Nicholas Lodero from Boca Juniors. Um, this thing's been rumored to be done for a while, uh, but it seemed to be held up for some reason. And there were even some rumors at one point that the Red Bulls were trying to get in on that. And I think Montreal, there was a rumor about Montreal as well. So 
I think it's going to get done. I think it's going to get done in Seattle. I think they have to make a move, and he's a perfect fit for what they need. So, you know, that's probably the biggest domino to fall. There's, you know, some other teams who are, are possible to make some moves. I think Orlando will get into it more now. Uh, they actually added a center back today to try to shore up that defense. Um, 23-year-old Uruguayan Jose Aja from Nacional. So we'll see if, if he kind of solves some of those issues. But it's it's about to get real interesting. The summer window in MLS is, is interesting because you have teams trying to fix things. Yeah, I – the thing – okay, the – one of the names that keeps popping up and I'm not saying he's going to get moved. So calm down if that's going to be your thing. Um, but one of the players of value, and I go back to the four, four, two piece is uh, Kevin Molino, who some people think is playing out of position because he's going to have to play more defensive game in that diamond. Is he someone you could see like someone breaking the bank for if they need somebody to be a playmaker in the middle of the field, like really kind of flip, the whole entire window on its head a bit. Yeah, Molino is a guy that I, I think a lot of people had this kind of idea that okay, Paul McDonough's here, so they're going to bring Adrian Heath in, and Adrian Heath's going to bring Molino in. It's like this domino effect. Um, I, it, I mean, stranger things have happened. Uh, I, I like Molino. He you know had the injury last year and it hurt his development. I think he's he's a player, and he's a really good player in this league. Um, we'll see if he fits with Christ. It's I'm not a hundred percent convinced that Christ is going to immediately go to the four four two diamond uh, from day one in Orlando. He he might opt to stick with a four two three one for now, just because it's what the team's been working on. You know, they're not far out of the playoff picture, so you know you don't need a a massive overhaul to get them into the mix. I think, you know, a new manager players playing for contracts and playing for spots next year, some tweaks here and there, like the, the center back, aha, and you, you're right in there. So I'd probably be more surprised if Christ said, you know, I'm just going to play my system and results, you know, don't matter until we get settled. I think, you know, he's got a mandate to get into the playoffs and, he's going to do what's going to get them there rather than think that everybody has to bend to him. I know we've, um, I know we've gone back and forth on this both in person and over the podcast and with people we've just talked to, but nobody has the foggiest notion what's going to happen with Minnesota this year and what's going to happen with the draft. How heavily do you think that, impacts if that gets settled during the window how that much that would impact what Atlanta does in this summer window I think it probably has a bigger impact on moves within the league Um, I'm expecting some kind of clarification during the all-star game festivities Uh, Don Garber usually gives some media conferences and, and talks about things moving forward for the league and what's next and I think that probably will be addressed there if at all possible. I've I've heard different things. I've I've heard that Minnesota is actually uh, a team that does not want an expansion draft, which surprised me a bit. I mean you have you know they have a team, they have a roster right now, but 
would I want to bring that roster to MLS with some additions and think that it could compete? I, I think it's a good roster for an ASL. I don't think it's an MLS ready roster. And I think, you know, you look at all the teams that have stepped up from lower divisions into MLS, it was pretty significant overhaul. And I think Minnesota has some nice pieces, but, you know, just saying, oh, we'll bring our roster up and we don't need an expansion draft is, is a little surprising. Personally, I would rather not see an expansion draft. I think you have more flexibility that way. Uh, give some more allocation money or, uh, you know, I don't know, first uh, waiver slot. I, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like exactly, but I think you'd have more flexibility without an expansion draft and being limited in the players you could choose from to, to fill 10 spots on your roster. I'd rather have that ability to get what I'd like to get with those 10 spots and, you know, I have faith in the, the front office to make the trades and use the allocation money and do what you got to do to get who you want. I do. I do as well. Um, and we, you talked about, we've, we've beaten this point home about how much intelligence and how much experience there is in the front office in Europe, in the U S and within the MLS, which is kind of this whole unique monster in and of itself. Um, it's funny you bring up Minnesota looking the other night at Fort Lauderdale's kind of Cinderella run ended in the U.S. Open Cup. I thought it was a nice little depiction, and we and we saw this uh, with the Silverbacks a few years ago. Um, it's the Cinderella runs are fun, and they show you what an ASL team can do against uh, an MLS team. You know whether it's at full strength or not, I don't really care because they're still going toe to toe ninety minutes, but. It's, I think it'd be tough to ask an NASL team with a couple MLS additions here and there. I think it'd be tough to ask them to go 30 games toe-to-toe week after week after week and uh, ask them, you know, to, to float around the playoff line uh, realistically. There's there's very few who could do it, and, and Minnesota's probably one of the ones that would have a better chance of it the most. Oh, I think I the Cosmos in the past has spent – at a lower MLS team level and, and could compete. Um, it's still, it's just, I think the depth, I mean, you know, we talk about the depth in MLS being an issue once you get past the maybe number 15, 16 on the roster. And that's what hurts MLS and CONCACAF champions league. Well, I think you take that a step further when you look at NASL and you have, you know, some players starting that, you know, would, definitely be questionable to make an MLS roster. And when you get to the bench, you don't have those game-changing types of, of subs on the bench. You know, it's it's a huge difference to be able to, you know, look on your bench and say, well, I need attack. I need a forward. I need, a, I need to hold it down. I need a defensive midfielder. I need a center back. MLS teams have players that they're more comfortable putting in on those situations. NASL teams and, and USL for that matter as well are struggling to answer those questions from a starting perspective. So it's a big difference. It's, you know, it's a huge financial difference. And if you look at the numbers, you know, you, you study it teams that have more money are more likely to win. That's just a fact teams that spend more are more likely to win. So, yeah. And I don't mean to disparage any, I don't mean to disparage any NASL teams. I mean, Look, we're yeah, talking exactly. about guys who are incredibly talented athletes and very good at what they do. It's just the way the United States is set up, 
you know, it's like the old saying that in Europe, uh, in, in the USA, 100 years is a long time. In Europe, 100 miles is a long way. I mean, distance is a thing here. I mean, you're asking guys to play. You're asking them to punch at or above their weight week after week, sometimes two times a week, uh, plus maybe U.S. Open Cups, and do that extended travel constantly. I think it's just a lot to ask for guys um, who, you know, especially when you go up, like you said, against the teams that spend more money, you're going up against guys who are going to be punching higher than your weight. I think, like you said, I think Minnesota stands a, would stand a good chance just to run in there right now, and they could make it really entertaining. But, man, that'd be a lot to ask. So I totally understand the idea of not of, uh, of them not wanting to do the expansion draft and uh, maybe trying to just kind of make the pick and choose, make their moves. Um, I guess similar to like Atlanta week we're seeing Atlanta do. But without the expansion draft, I'd be really interested to see uh, what Atlanta looks like going forward, and I'd be I'd be really interested in a parallel universe to see what it looks like with and without the expansion draft. What Atlanta does, I mean, yeah, what I, I, the city. I just hope we get some clarity on it soon because you know it is one of those big question marks out there about what what's next for Atlanta in terms of building this roster, and you know I don't know if the league is even decided yet. I know there's there's some serious complications when it comes to Minnesota's stadium issue and what that means about their ability to play next year um, or, you know, maybe two years at target field um, or another venue. And that's, you know, it's a big question to to answer, but you're running out of time and things have to have to get started. I mean, even as it is, Minnesota would be at a bit of a disadvantage coming in next year because, they're not signing guys like Chris McCann and Kenwin Jones and, and Hector Vijalba. You know, they have Christian Ramirez, one of the, the top young American forwards outside of MLS, who is an MLS level talent. They have other MLS level talents, but they're not making the moves that Atlanta's making. And they're going to have to catch up quickly if, if they are kind of given the, the reins to run with it and be ready to play next year. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, at this point, if it was if if it were me, I think at this point I would just rather wait a year and give myself another year to kind of lay out a blueprint. Um, that's not to say they couldn't do it. These guys are professionals; they're paid a lot of money to know how to do this. So you, you have different expectations. I think if they yeah. come in next year and it's announced, let's say the All Star Game that Minnesota's happening next year. Minnesota would definitely have lower expectations than Atlanta would. I mean, yeah. I, I just I'd be shocked if if anybody thought differently. I I think every day it goes on, it's it's another day that's harder for Minnesota to catch up. I think you're you know you miss this transfer window in terms of signing guys that could help your MLS team next year. You know what do you do? I think you know they're gonna one thing that's that's helped expansion teams when they've come in in the past from lower divisions is they had an opportunity to sign a certain number of players from their league. So you'd see some guys, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's how Seattle brought Osvaldo, Osvaldo Alonso in with them because he was at Charleston. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but I think they brought him in through that mechanism. So maybe you know, Minnesota would try to sign uh, Quadro Poku or other players in NASL with other NASL teams if, if they could and bring them into MLS. Maybe they'd have 
you know, rights to do that, that Atlanta wouldn't be able to sign those guys or their MLS teams wouldn't. I, I don't know. We're we're making up a board game at this point of what it looks like because we don't know. So <laughs> let's not forget. Let's not forget. Poku got all. But Poku went to Miami for almost a million dollars. Like that was that's three quarters of a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, Minnesota's got the money. I mean, definitely oh, no, money won't yeah. be an issue for them if they want to spend it. I just think they're running out of time to spend it in any meaningful way for a 2017 MLS season. Yeah, I agree. And um, so one last thing, but uh, this is, this is, I'm pretty sure in your art. Yeah. This is in your article anyway. Um, I mean, yes or no to Mario Balotelli in the MLS. Oh, I mean, this is something Jason Davis has, has been on about uh, on, you know, the, the soccer saying that, you know, Balotelli's a guy MLS should look at and he would bring excitement to the league. And he definitely give, you know, those of us who are talking about it a lot to talk about, I, it'd be risky. And I think some clubs would not be able to handle him. Um, the rumor that kind of shocked me as I was digging into this recap of the summer transfer window was that he was linked at, at some point in this window to Philadelphia. Um, yeah, that's where I saw it. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, that, Philadelphia link. that would not have been the first place I would have thought of for Mario Balotelli. Uh, but, you know, it could work. I think, you know, being in one of the larger markets with a lot of heavy expectations could be tough for him. I think being able to go to a spot where he can, you know, not, not be anonymous. I mean, Philadelphia is a big market, but Philadelphia also hasn't had a history of success. So if Balotelli comes in and let's say he comes in and he scores four or five goals in the second half of the season and they make a playoff run, that's okay. If he goes to the Galaxy, even though they don't have any room for him, let's just say he goes to the Galaxy and he doesn't play well, oh, they'll, they'll go after him in a big way. You know, New York, you saw what New York fans did to Lampard. He's been injured and oh, yeah. booed him off the field in the 7 nothing game with the Red Bulls. I, I think Balotelli, wherever he goes, if it's MLS or not, he needs to go somewhere where he has some lowered expectations. He can just play and just get into a rhythm and find the form that he's had in the past. Uh, you know, will he be the 2012 European Championship Balotelli again? I don't know. That might be hard to ask. But can he be a, a very good forward and score a lot of goals somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. So are are you saying you're not endorsing the idea of Dennis Schroeder spearheading the campaign to have him line up off of uh, Kimwin Jones' shoulder every every Saturday or every Sunday? I am not. Nope. And <laughs> I would not have been spearheading that cam- campaign before Jones was signed. I'm definitely not now that that Jones is is likely you know your your starting number nine on opening day. I. I don't, I don't think it works with Jones there, and I don't think personality-wise he was really a fit for what Atlanta United was looking for. Um, I, I think he's either if he goes to M, if he goes somewhere in MLS, I think it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be a team who is trying to make a splash and is trying to sign him for his name, or it's going to be a team who thinks he's he's still got something to give and we'll give him time and be flexible with him. Um, and he needs the second option. He doesn't need the first. 
I was about to, I was about to say the second option. The second option seems like the kind of thing that could unlock him, not necessarily back to that 2012 style, but somewhere in that area. And if you had even close to that 2012 style in the MLS, he'd be wrecking shop, most likely. I mean, if he went to, you know, I look at like the Real Salt Lake as a place where he could go and not, you know, have a ton of scrutiny. He would, you know, be able to play his way back into form. I think he would potentially help that team. Um, you know, I, I think there's spots in the league that would be a good landing, landing place for him. I just don't think it's here. No, that's fine. I mean, I think I don't, I don't, I don't really, it's one of those things where there are certain people I don't want in Atlanta sports, not because I don't like them, but because I don't think it'd be safe for them to be in Atlanta seven days a week away <laughs> from the field. This isn't the city for some people. Like if There's the that. Hawks on J.R. Smith, I give it five days and I'm being oh, generous. Wow. Like if, yeah. if United signed Mario Balotelli, no, no, no. So I hope he gets a chance. Now, I know he's been linked to a couple of teams in Europe. I think Milan was one of them. I'm not positive how secure that link was, but I hope he does get the chance because there's so much raw talent there, and he's not that old. I hope he does latch on somewhere and do something, and, whether and it's here or somewhere. Out of, he's stayed out of trouble pretty much recently. So, yeah. you know, I hope he gets a chance to kind of reinvent himself and, and just go and, and find the form that he's had and score a bunch of goals and and be that guy. He just he needs He needs to change the scenery for sure. Yeah, I I agree. And um, as we kind of shift now, we take a look a week ahead. Um, and you and I, I messaged you about like, what, what did you want to cover today? Uh, did you want to talk about the, uh, you know, New York's are going back at it again. Uh, we're two games removed from a touchdown victory and then a revenge game and the breaking of the the curse in New York. But no, let's let's take a look at Sporting Kansas City and Seattle because what is dead may never die. <laughs> it, the the talk was so funny after that Seattle 5-0 drubbing of Dallas about oh they're back they're back <laughs> and we talked I, about this you 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 put it to bed appropriately and accurately I I did nail that one um, <laughs> I've been on a bit of a run with these picks and I even got the score right last week that kind of shocked me. Um, I, I just, you know, that 5-0 game was one of those games. You know, you had Dallas with a depleted roster playing a bunch of their kids. You had an early red card, an early penalty kick goal, and it just, the wheels came off. So the 5-0 really wasn't what it looked like it was on paper. And Portland handled Seattle fairly easily in uh, the game last Sunday. Uh, Seattle's got a ton of issues. Um one, the Lodero transfer saga has gone on so long that is hurting them because they're kind of in this limbo right now of, you know, they're gonna, are they going to have him? Are they going to be able to you know, get him into the team? Are they, are they going to be able to change the way they play? I, right now, I just don't think they have enough. And, you know, you're looking at – I mean, just look at their goal scoring, you know, chart. You have Jordan Morris. He's, he's put it together in bits and pieces, and he's got seven – and then, you know, Dempsey has three. Chad Marshall, your center back, has three. Jovan Jones, who's, you know, mostly played as an outside back, but played as a midfielder, has two. You know, they're not scoring enough goals. 
um, they're not creating enough chances. I mean, you just you look at the stats and comparing these two teams, Kansas City, you know, takes more shots. They put more shots on target. They scored more goals. Um, they're creating more chances from the run of play. It's just Seattle is a broken team, in my opinion. And, you know, one of two things is going to change it for them. It's either going to be they sign Nicholas Ladero and he comes in and plays lights out and fixes it with his play on the field and he unlocks things for Jordan Morris and Dempsey going forward and, and helps the attack or they make a change of coach. It's, it's really one or the other at this point. And every game that they hold off making that decision, the, the further the playoffs get away from them. And it's funny you say that because this is the other team, the other team that was on the Christ train. Because for if you go if you look up Siggy and look up like Siggy fired on Google, there's like four years worth of posts from fans saying he should or should not have been fired over the last three or four years. At this yeah, point, it's, I'm pretty it's sure almost getting into so, Ron. It's almost getting into Ron Zook territory. Oh, it is. I mean, if they don't have a site yet, they need to. Um, Sporting Kansas City is one of those teams that like just kind of looked flat last like when they played Colorado like maybe is this like something has to give here though like because they they looked flat um a lot of the complaints I saw were like defensive mistakes and lack of scoring like that's 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 a good way to lose is lack of scoring but I mean they went up against a tough Rapids defense so that could have something to do with it something has to give this week though and therein lies the question does Seattle get off the mat or does Sporting Kansas City just like continue kicking that kid who's on the ground some of it's been the you know the away games for Kansas City. They've lost their last two. Both were away from home. Both won nothing. Yeah, you, know, you go back to the two games before that at home, and they scored three goals in each of them and won them both. So, I mean, I see it out of Seattle. You know, getting it together. I think Kansas City. You know, gets a boost coming back home. The one big question for Kansas City is. Is Graham Zusi? He's got a ham, hamstring injury. He is questionable at this point for Sunday. So we'll we'll have to see on him. That that will definitely you know have a big impact. He's been one of their best players this season. I I do think Kansas City gets it done. Um, you know I think Seattle will will put up a battle here, but I think you're looking at like a two-one Kansas City win. Uh, that's it. It's fair. I mean if if. I don't want to like say that like okay Seattle had a bad run like that was not a pleasant last week they've had so I mean if they came out flat I wouldn't be shocked like uh I mean like a three one or a three zero loss I don't I'm not yeah. saying that like that's the kind of thing to get Siggy fired but that's the kind of thing that would get a a normal manager fired after everything that's gone on he's just he he he's he he what, what is dead may never die the man will never go away. Um, I mean, it's, it's rough. You you look at it. You look at their last six games, and even with the five zero win over Dallas, you know that's one win in six, four losses and a draw thrown in there. You've scored. Seattle scored seven goals in their last six games. Five of those goals came in one game against, for the most part, a ten man team of young players off the bench. So pull that game out in five of the last six Seattle, you know, has 
scored twice and given up nine goals. For what uh, it's worth, they also got blitzkrieged by LA uh, Wednesday. So there's that. That doesn't help them. And they took a lead early and they took a lead again. And LA came back on them twice and won 4 2 in the open. Yeah, but, and best thing, and doubled like twice, went down and twice got off the mat and doubled them up still. That's it's not great, Bob. So throw that one in. I mean, your last seven games, Seattle scored nine goals with five of them in one game. And they've given up 13. You know, you've given up almost two goals a game. And you're, you're just not scoring goals. So, I mean, it's it's a mess on both ends for Seattle. And I just don't know what it's going to take to fix it other than Ladero being amazing or a change at the on the sideline. Well, I'll stick by and I'll I'll um I'll call KC three O to be completely wrong about this because well that's what I'm good at. <laughs> no, nah, that's not true. That's not true. My streak will end. Don't worry. So says the uh, man who has not had a streak end. But uh, Jason, uh, as we kind of wrap things up, as we've kind of got that lined up, um, big news in Atlanta this week. This Saturday is uh, Atlanta SoccerCon. Yeah, it's the first time uh, we've done one of these. It's kind of, you know, been a bit of a outgrowth of our ATL soccer Twitter chats we've been doing for a while now, and uh, different friends in the Atlanta soccer community have, have put this together. Um, I've really been helping kind of on the back end of uh, putting together a panel, but, you know, Austin Long and, and JR Francis have been really working hard to put this thing together, and it's going to be a fun day Saturday over at Red Brick Brewing. Um, we're going to have, I don't know if you've ever seen Sabudio, the table soccer. It was oh, one yeah. of my favorite things as a kid. I I found that uh, probably eight or nine years old. No, nah, it would have been like nine or ten years old, right after I got into soccer and found Sabudio. And when we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, the soccer shop there, I guess, had a bunch of like little – team packs on clearance and I had a New York Cosmos pack and a Manchester United pack and found like a stadium set up and I had signboards and a scoreboard and all this stuff. It was, it was awesome. So I was all into some videos as a kid. So I'm excited to see that. I haven't played it in years. Um, some different people are bringing uh, kit collections and I know some people are looking to trade uh, jerseys and scarves and other, other team swag. So if you have anything, bring that, um, bring some cash. If you're looking to, to buy something from somebody, some, some cool stuff coming. And the Mouths of the South are hosting a panel that I'm actually pretty excited about. We've got a representative from the American Outlaws chapter in Atlanta. We have a rep from Footy Mob, Resurgence, and Terminus Legion, the three Atlanta United supporters groups. And just kind of talking about the state of soccer in Atlanta uh, with with four people who are on the ground and well connected to it, so I'm I'm excited to see where that conversation goes. Absolutely, and so it's at Red Brick Bre- uh, Red Brick. So, uh, can they can people still get tickets, Jason? Yeah, you can get tickets. Um, go to atlsoccercon.com. Um, you can also get tickets at the door. Uh, look for it on Facebook and on Twitter at atlsoccercon as well for any last minute updates. We had one today where we've got the uh, U.S. Paralympic national team stopping by and we're doing a meet and greet with them kind of at the end of the the soccer con. So that's going to be pretty cool. Those guys are getting ready for 
the Paralympic Games in Rio uh, after the Olympics, and they're doing their training camp here in Atlanta, and their coach is based here in Atlanta too. Stuart Sharp's a great guy, and they'll be able to you'll be able to meet them, ask some questions about you know how training's been going and and what they're looking forward to in Rio. Fantastic. Um, so you know your Saturday's free. Head on down Redbrook. Check out the Atlanta Soccer Con. Uh, for more information, again, you can check them out on Twitter. Check them out online. Get your tickets. Get your tickets at the door. Bring your stuff if you want to trade. Uh, this is just the Cliff Notes version. Plenty of talking points. Plenty of people to meet. Uh, plenty of fun to be had. Yeah, the Atlanta Soccer yeah. seeing the way it's growing, it's um, it should be really exciting. Will you be there, Jared? I am not positive. I am hoping to, but I have not been able to commit 100%. All right. Well, there might be, though, at least half of the Peachtree Post will be there. And, you know, maybe it'll be a Peachtree Post, Mouths of the South, Tag Team, Battle Royale. Oh, they they don't want that. They don't want that. <laughs> <clears throat> I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've seen Quintana play, play foot golf now. Uh, they don't want that. He beat you. That's nothing to brag about. <laughs> well, no, it's really not. <laughs> Thanks again, guy, everybody, for listening in. Uh, if you want more information, uh, head over to Pete's Tree Post. We're available on Twitter. We're available on Twitter individually as well. Check out Jason Longshore at Longshoe. I can be found for your hate mail requirements at Jarrett underscore Smith. Check us out. Check out Dirty South Soccer. Check out our friends over at Mouths of the South as well, keeping you up to date on Atlanta and Charleston information about soccer in the city. And until next week, uh, Jason, anything else you would like to add or and or criticize and or comment? Check us out on iTunes. We're on iTunes now. We're big time. Woo-hoo. Oh, man, we're fancy. Yeah. Damn, y'all. Yeah, we, we might be on Stitcher uh, by the time this hits. We'll see. We're, we're okay, still waiting you... on Stitcher to catch up. Okay, Overcast is next. So, I mean, there's that. Like, that's yeah, yeah, problem. Overcast, tune in, the rest of them. You know, I guess we're, we're like the we're NWO getting... taking over. Always. We'll get on it. But thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week, Jason. Thank you for everything, and uh, we'll see you.